Well, I love the second service because there's no time limits, right? <laughs> Nothing to hold me back other than you guys getting up and walking out. So, but hey, I'm so thankful to be here. I've truly enjoyed my time. Um, pastors, you guys have been great hosts. And I'm just super excited about what God has in store for this church. Watching and listening to the announcements, to the video, um, and just the different ministries of little kids coming in and collecting money for uh, the people in Swaziland. And I don't know about you, but I watched that video and I just saw so much joy in those people. And regardless of what their circumstances are and all that kind of stuff, just an amazing joy dancing and bouncing around. And sometimes I wonder, you know, do we have that joy? Right? I mean, if, we, if God is who we say he is, you know, how come we don't break out and, and dance? I would do that for you right now, but it would be pretty ugly. But... <laughs> But man, I just love the fact that there's joy there. And I love the fact that your church is doing a lot of mission work. Uh, it's evident that you guys are serving and that you guys are doing some amazing things in this community already with what I see. So today, this message uh, for some of you might already be like, yep, I'm right there with you, got it. Um, for others, I want to take you to the next level. And I want to challenge this church to kind of go to the next level. Last night we had an amazing outreach event that was put on by a lot of hard work, by a lot of people with different gifts and abilities, people serving, people bringing food, people donating um, prizes, people hanging the deer. And I told the first service, I love it when uh, the church keeps up all of the dead animals on the wall. It makes me feel comfortable. I know you guys are probably freaked out, you know, there's some dead things staring at you, but um, I love it because as a wild game speaker, th this is the element that I'm in. But we had an amazing event last night. People came to know the Lord. People, the seed was planted and those that were involved in that ministry were able to use their gifts and abilities the way that God has equipped them. I speak at these all around the country. I've been doing it since 2003, and I'm going to share that story, how that got started in a minute. But I have churches come to me all the time and say, you know, Mike, this is our 10th year. This is our 15th year. We've been doing these wild game beast feasts. Yeah, it's been really good, but it's a lot of work. And we think it's just maybe time to stop. And I always ask them one question. And I say, tell me how many people in attendance, what percentage is from the community and are maybe people who don't know Christ? Minimally, the smallest percentage I ever get is like 20, 25%. Most of the time it's 50 to 60, sometimes even up to 80% of their community who's never heard Christ before is coming into that beast feast in that event there. And I ask them and I say, why would you stop that? Why would you not pour more money into it and pour more resources and more people into it because that is a huge outreach event. 
And not just through me, it's the Holy Spirit that's convicting people. But there are other wild game speakers that tell the same stories that I do and have the same, just God doing some amazing work in people's lives because of these events like you guys did last night. So it was packed. You guys were sold out, I believe. If not, maybe one or two seats. And that was just because it was the front row. Nobody wanted to get spit on. You know, so you guys are almost at max already. I asked the question, I said, why don't you go to a second night? Well, that would be, that'd be a lot of work, right? It would take a lot more people. And I'm not saying that you have to do that. But I want to challenge you guys to step up and help the people that are doing this because you guys made a huge difference in some people's lives last night. And uh, through the efforts, all of it, I can't do my part if you guys aren't doing your part. And then the discipleship that takes place after that, that the pastors and the ministry leaders are going to get involved in. Oh, it is so powerful. So thank you for having me last night. I, I really enjoyed it. And I just love these kind of events. I, uh, so I told last night, I told the story of how I shot a, a, a buck. And it happens to be this one here on the end. We took it from stage and hung it up here. I call it my four-arrow buck. And if you weren't here last night, I told the story of how I got it. I only had two arrows in my quiver, but it took me four shots to get it. It was kind of a comical, funny story. But when I got that, I had just left the corporate world. And I had started this Christian outdoor adventure, adventure ministry. I had no idea where God was going to take it. Um, I didn't know what he was going to do with it. But I stepped out and began this ministry. Well, now I shoot this buck. I wanted to get it mounted, but I had no cash. And deer mounts back then were probably about $350 to get that thing um, to a taxidermist. And I call up this taxidermist. I'm like, hey, I just started this Christian outdoor adventure ministry. I've got no cash. Can I pay you like five bucks a month? And if it takes you two years to get it mounted, I don't care. So he was like, all right, well, tell me more about this outdoor ministry. And so I did, and I, I told him how um, it was my idea and that we were, were taking men hiking the Grand Canyon, whitewater rafting, hiking the Appalachian Trail, canoeing, um, hunting trips, whatever it was, some kind of adventure, getting guys out into God's creation so that we could pour into them spiritually and to help them connect. And he's like, oh man, that sounds so awesome. He said, all right, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to mount that deer for free. All I ask is that you come to our church wild game dinner and give a five-minute testimony. Oh, man, I, that was awesome, right? That was news. When, when I shot that deer, I sat in the woods, and I prayed a quick prayer, and I just said, Lord, thank you. This is the biggest buck of my dreams, biggest buck I'm ever going to get. Use this deer how you, will, how you would. And that was it. I... I mean, I meant it, but I didn't expect anything other than maybe $10 off on a deer mount or something, right? So now here I get a free mount, and all I got to do is talk for five minutes about my testimony. I was saved when I was seven years old. 
I came to be a follower of Christ at the age of seven, and all through the rest of my, my life up to this point, I was doing the best that I could to be a follower of Christ, serve in the church, and it probably wasn't even going to take five minutes, maybe three minutes, and I was done. And uh, so I had convinced myself that this church was going to be a small church over in the thumb of Michigan, and that... It was going to be out in the farmlands, and so everybody there is probably going to be close to the age of 80. There'll be 50 people there. No matter what you say, they're going to love on you, right? Like grandpa and grandma would. And I just had that feeling, that's what it was, and that's how I convinced myself that I'm going to go ahead and do this. So I get over there, I pull into the parking lot, and it's a big church like this. They had 400 people at this event. I come in, and Pat, he's one of those really bubbly, vivacious kind of guys, Holy Spirit-filled. He's just, he's like, oh man, Mike, I'm so glad you're here. And he hands me the agenda for the evening's itinerary. And I'm reading down, it says meal, uh, DNR speaker, um, prize drawing, keynote speaker, Mike Tyson. I'm like, Pat, keynote speaker? I said, I thought you just told me it was going to be a five-minute testimony. He's like, yeah, I know, I just told you that because I knew you wouldn't come. <laughs> I'm like, I have no message. I have a three-minute testimony. That's it. So we go in, and he's like, I ah, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you something. And you know, he's just one of those super optimistic, optimistic guys, you know. Sometimes you just want to kind of slap, you know. It's like, stop. <laughs> So he, so I, we go in, the meal goes long, the prize drawing, they're giving out, you guys gave away some great prizes last night, they're, they're giving away like 1,000, here's a hunting pen, here's a daredevil for fishing, Here, I mean just all this little small stuff, right? Took forever, 45 minutes of prize drawings. Finally the last prize is drawn. And you could hear 400 metal chairs all scoop backwards because everybody wanted out. The MC runs up on stage, hold on, hold on. We've got one more speaker. And you could hear everybody go, ah, exactly. Read there. That sounded familiar. Um, so now I have a hostile crowd with no message. And that is how my speaking ministry was born. So today, when I tell, I tell you that because it wasn't like I was a good speaker um, prior to that. In fact, God had kind of called me into youth ministry a little bit prior to that, but I kind of ran from that. And I'm like, I, my pastor was kind of sucking me into that, and I'm like, ah, that's not for me, I'm out of here. And, um, and then my speeches in high school were memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Um, I always considered it a bonus if I didn't pass out or if I didn't throw up on stage. That was, you know, at least worthy of a C. Um, but you know what? God uses sometimes our weaknesses to do great things for him. I never would have signed up to be a public speaker, but God used that deer to get me into um, the ministry that he knew I was equipped to do. And so I want to talk today about the wild Christian life. 
We saw over in Swaziland, those people have the joy and they are living the wild Christian life where they're at. I want you to live the wild Christian life here in Clearfield, Pennsylvania, and where God has placed you. You see, but to live the wild Christian life, there's a couple things that we have to kind of focus on. And one is, God has called us to be holy. The wild Christian life isn't going to mean much if we don't have an element of holiness in our life. If you want to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 16. Get on my old man glasses here. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holy in all your conduct. Excuse me. As we live the wild Christian life, this world sometimes, I talked last night about what are you chasing? The, the world gets us off track. Whether it's TV, whether it's social media, whether it's jobs, whether it's sports, whatever it is, there's all these distractions that keep us from living the life that God in living the life the way God meant it to be. But it starts with our holiness. We're not going to be perfect. But God is holy, and we have to strive to be like him, as he commands us here in 1 Peter. So that may mean you may have to make some tough decisions in your life to cut out some things that are not holy. But we've got to strive, if we're going to live the wild Christian life, to do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to flip there, um, it says, the Apostle Paul, an amazing guy, one of the greatest apostles of all time. Um, besides Jesus, he probably would rank number two as far as people's favorite Bible characters, right? And I'd put him up there. But yet, that guy had an amazing story. At one point, he was a persecutor of Christians, before he became one of the greatest evangelists and disciples of all time. Guy persecuted Christians, held the coat when Stephen was stoned to death. A man who had a terrible past that God used in an amazing way. Moses, he stuttered. He didn't feel qualified. He told God no three or four times. And God said, I will be there with you. I will show you wonders and miracles. Put your hand in your coat, pull it out. It was leprosy, and he healed it. And God's showing him miracles right there. And, and Moses is still like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. God's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to show you the power that you have through me. Think of Jeremiah, who was just a youth. I see all these little kids running, and you think, oh, they're just little kids. They can't do anything. Yeah, they can. Do you know Jeremiah was probably in his early teens, maybe 
Maybe even as young as 14 when God called him to be a prophet. Now, he didn't necessarily get the best job ever. He had to be a prophet of doom. But he had to go around and tell people about the love of God and to repent because God's punishment is coming. And for that, he got beat up and thrown in pits and almost left to die. But he was like 14. And God used him in an amazing way. King David, a man with sin in his life, and yet became king and ruler and prepared the way for the lineage of Jesus Christ. Reluctant men, weak and reluctant, and God chooses them. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Apostle Paul's telling you he wasn't of noble birth. He wasn't wise. God chooses often weak, reluctant misfits to do amazing things for him. Also, he doesn't require perfect execution. It's not required. And the Apostle Paul continues and goes on and in chapter 2, and he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Man, those verses there speak to me so much because... In high school, I had a baseball coach tell me I'd never be a leader because I was too shy and quiet. My speech teacher told me, he said, don't worry about public speaking, it's not your calling. And I had an English teacher tell me, don't worry about writing, you don't know where to put commas anyways, so um, don't worry about that. But I tell you that, not, I'm not trying to brag or anything like that, but God used somebody like me to speak to people I've written a couple books. They're not bestsellers, but they're ministry. And, um, and I've been involved in church leadership my whole life. God uses your weaknesses to do great things for him. You may not feel qualified. You may not feel like you're adequate. I had a guy come up to me after the service, in the first service, and he said he, was, he really appreciated what I said because... He's thinking of maybe getting involved in uh, music ministry. Um, I don't know if he can sing or not, or play or whatever. You might want to check that out first. But, um, <laughs> but his heart is moving in the right direction. And he's like, man, I, I need to get involved. And I need to do that. And, you know, we talked about how after I left that first speaking engagement, I'm like, okay, but man, Lord, that was fun. If I'm going to learn how to do this, or if I'm going to do this, I better learn how to speak. 
So I started watching videos of how to pace and how to have eye contact and how to stare at people until they feel uncomfortable and then you break away and they feel like you're connected, right? And, you know, so it's a progression. You're not going to be perfect at, at the beginning, but God doesn't expect perfection. Most of the time, I dribble out of my mouth and I stumble over my words. And half the time, people are like, oh, I really love how you pause for dramatic effect. It's not dramatic effect. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say. You know, it's just my brain works slow. That's all it is, right? So the elements of the wild Christian life. What is it involved? It involves a heart of passion. You need to have a passion and a joy for the things of God. God says to love him and to love others. Those are the two biggest commandments. Have a joy and a love and a devotion for the things of God. Putting others before yourself. Having an encouraging spirit. The other cool thing is that God has equipped you with everything that you need. The first thing, he's given you this. And he's given us cool technology where you can get an app on your phone and you can read the Bible anywhere you're at, even if you forgot this physical one at your home. Inside this book has the story from Genesis to Revelation, the plan of salvation, Sin, how it came into the world, how you can overcome temptation, how you can have a better marriage, how you can have a better love for people, how you can forgive when somebody's wronged you. It's all in here. And God's equipped you to live the wild Christian life with everything that you need. In addition to that, he didn't just stop there. He gave you the Holy Spirit himself that is going to convict you, comfort you, guide you, and teach you in the way that you should go. He's also given you spiritual gifts. He's put a passion inside of you. Some of you love sports. Some of you love hunting. Some of you just love people. Some of you um, care about people. God's given you passions, but he's given you spiritual gifts those, those are abilities to go out and to do ministry where God has called you. Pastors, he's, he's given them the spiritual gift of pastoring, shepherding, teaching. Some of you are teachers. Some of you, um, God has given a, a, a generous heart, and so you give of your money, or maybe you give of your time, or maybe you're merci merciful and you have mercy. Um, for me, I never thought I was an evangelist, but I guess I am. You know, God has given you spiritual gifts. And then the other thing is, he's given you a body of believers in this area that have spiritual gifts that complement your gifts, which allow this church body to go off and do some awesome things. So he's given you everything that you need to live out the wild Christian life. You need to have a proper mindset you know, a can-do attitude. You know, you're going to get knocked down. Uh, you're going to have times where your, wild, your beast feast, 
you know, something's going to go wrong. I mean, I've had so many times when I've been speaking and preaching, uh, somebody in the front row, their phone goes off, and, um, or, or they can't hear that their phone is going off, and it's just going, and I'm about to give the gospel message, and it just kills it, right? And then they answer it. And uh, so things like that happen, right? In life, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have trials and tribulations. But you've got to have that can-do attitude of, I can get up and go again. And that helps by setting your, your mind on things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Focus on the things of God, not all of the fake, fakeness of this world. I, uh, I was out elk hunting, and I told the story last night of elk hunting. Uh, it's not going to be that one, but it was a different time. I was out there in the mountains of Colorado. It was lunchtime. I was on top of this hill, and I was having, um, we were about to ready to have lunch, and all of a sudden we hear this bugle down in the valley. And it just, it was so loud. It was just something like this. <laughs> And it just sent chills up our spine, and the hair on our arms just kicked up. And we're like, man, it's a monster elk like this one over here hanging on the wall. Are we going to go for it? Because if we do, it is a long way down into this valley after this elk. And if we don't get them, or even if we do get them, we're going to have to pack this thing up all the way up this mountain, and it is going to be a nightmare. Well, the temptation of that bad boy right there was worth it. And we decided we were going to go down. And so we start stalking down this mountain. And every once in a while, he would bugle and we would bugle back. And we're just in this back and forth thing. And we're stalking and we're working our way down. And eventually we get to where we were like 30 yards from him. He bugles one last time and he's trashing the, the trees with his antlers. And man, we're just super excited. And we step around. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps out and he goes, gotcha. <laughs> it was a hunter. We had spent all that time and climbed down that big mountain, all to be deceived, thinking we were going to get that. And we got this. Right? <laughs> Nothing against you, Stan. But that's what Satan does. He gives you a false sense of security. He tempts you with what thinks life is going to be, this glorious rack. Maybe that adulterous affair, oh, it's going to be so great. But he doesn't tell you the consequences that come along with chasing after the things of the world. And after that, we suffered the consequences of having to come back up with uh, our pride hurt and uh, feeling ashamed and foolish for, for believing he was a, a great big elk, right? And that's the way it is. The dangers of the wild Christian life, you have an adversary who wants to destroy you. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You have an adversary that wants to deceive you and to get you off track. He's going to bring subtlety to his message. He's going to give you daily temptations that you're going to have to overcome. And then, because those times you fail, you're going to feel ashamed, you're not going to feel forgiven, and you're going to resort to a place of isolation, which is a bad place to be. You're going to have to resist that. God has given you friends and neighbors and people, brotherhood of Christ, that can help you through that. The other dangers of the wild Christian life, I always think with my hiking adventures and things, you know, we were down in the Grand Canyon, we're seeing this great big view that God would have for us, yet we spend the whole time walking like this, looking at our feet. We go up that big hill that is a tough trial, and we're looking at our feet because we're just digging in. But all the while, we're missing out on the beauty that God has for us. Whether it's a tough hill, or it's an easy downhill way, or it's a beautiful valley, whatever it is, lift your eyes up and see the things that God has for you. We were uh, camping. I have uh, five kids, and we were out in Wisconsin, and we found this big lake. And on the back side of it was all these big boulders that had fallen down this mountain and landed in, the, in this lake, and they were just strewn up the whole mountainside. Well, these were big, giant boulders, and they were all laying on top of each other, and there was big holes in it to where if you were a little kid, you fell down in it. I don't know if we could even pull you out. It was one of those kind of situations, and we were jumping off these, um, these rocks into the deep water. And so I let myself and the older kids jump off, um, because it was deep enough and there was no rocks and it was safe. But my five-year-old son really wanted to do it. But I told him, I said, Seth, you're too young. You're, it's too dangerous. There's big holes, hard rocks, and you don't have a life jacket. There's no way you can do this. So I told him, you know, go over and sit by your mom and just, you know, watch us enjoy life. And... <laughs> And so we're doing it, and I come up, and I look over, and he's just chewing on my wife. Mom, I can do it. I can do it, Mom. I want to do it. I know I can do it. And this kid was determined he was going to do it. So like all good parents, we caved after 20 minutes. And I said, all right, I'm going to grab him by the hand, and I'm going to help him up over all these obstacles, make sure he doesn't fall in these holes. And I'm going to get him to the edge, and I get him over to the edge, and he's standing there. And I look on his face, and I can tell this kid wants to jump. And there was teenagers behind us that were afraid to jump. And all of a sudden, they could, I could hear them start saying, is that little boy going to jump? I think he's going to jump. Do you think he's going to jump? I think he's going to jump. And I look at him, and I'm like, I know he's going to jump. And uh, so I'm like, all right, hold on. So I jumped in, and then I was able to catch him when he did make that leap. And then we enjoyed it um, for a little while after that. But I tell you that story because we need to understand the mission of the wild Christian life. One, you need to know your mission. You need to be like Seth, who was determined to fulfill it. You need to strive to be holy like we're already called to. Engage in that great commission. 
and lead the life that God has assigned to you. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. God has placed you in a sphere of influence here in Clearfield, Pennsylvania that only you can impact for Christ. You can reach people I can't reach and I can reach people that you can't reach. And we need to lead the life that God has assigned to each of us. We're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be missionaries or pastors. But some of us are called to be nursery workers. Some of us are called to be musicians. Some of us are called to be greeters and ushers. Like that plug? <laughs> greeters and ushers. That's the best way to get started, right? Everybody has a right hand to fellowship. And everybody can say hello. We'd love to see you back next week, right? So lead the life God has assigned to you. Seth knew his mission, was determined to fulfill it. Then he ignored those who said it couldn't be done. And then he overcame the obstacles that were placed in his way. And then it gets to the best part of the wild Christian life. The adventure and Seth, because he enjoyed the adventure, he was able to realize the rewards of taking that leap of faith and trusting. And because of that, he, I mean, 1 Corinthians, God says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm a baseball coach, and you know, the saying is always, um, I don't even know what the saying is. If you want to hit a home run and you don't swing the bat, you're never going to get a home run, right? You're never going to get a base hit. So you've got to attempt. You've got to make the swing. You've got to jump and, and step out in faith so that you can realize the rewards. Because God has something immensely huge in plan for your life, because he loves you and he has a big plan for your life. And if you don't jump, you're never going to see it. The other cool thing about Seth's story is that he inspired others. When he jumped, all of those high schoolers who were afraid said, well, if that little boy can do it, I can do it. So you don't know what you do here in this church, how it will inspire somebody else to go on and do great things. Or maybe that little thing of you greeting somebody at the door, somebody comes in here, hears the gospel message, and goes from being an alcoholic to a greeter in the church. You don't know. Inspire others. So friends, we've got one life, we've got one chance, our time here on earth is short. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to live out the wild Christian life? Live the life the way God meant it to be. I'm going to end here with this. Jeremiah 29, 11, probably many of you know it. I may be taking it out of context, I don't know. But I love what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. 
And he said this to the Israelites who, we all know the Israelites had a, a messed up story, right? God, God would do something miraculous, they would fall back into sin and bondage. He'd have to rescue them, they'd go right back in. And as my, my mother-in-law always said, well, another lap around the desert, right? But that's the same for us too. We mess up, we screw up, we see God do amazing things, and then the next day, you know, we're like, where are you, God? It's like I've been here the whole time, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And friends, there are people out there that need to know there is a hope and a future. And it all starts with this church. You guys are already doing amazing things, and I am so grateful for that. And it excites me to know that there are Christians around the country that love Christ and love his people. You guys are doing amazing things, but let's take it to the next level. Talk to your pastors. Find out how you can be used to serve here in this community. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the pastors and the leadership and the people who handed me appetizers last night, the people who wiped up dirty tables after this big event. Lord, thank you for using weak, reluctant people like us who have faults and who don't do things perfectly. But thank you for making a difference in using the fruits of our labor to bring people into a relationship with you. Lord, continue to work on our hearts. Help us to be the person and the people that you've called us to be and help us to live life the way that you meant it to be. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray for just a great day and a year of revival and ministry in this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to thank you guys very much for having me. It's been an awesome weekend. Um, I'll hang out by my table back there if you guys want to talk or anything like that. Um, I also started a, a podcast if you're into that. It's called the Wild Christian Life Podcast. I got four episodes and a lot of bad jokes on it. So if you want to check that out, but thank you, Pastor, for having me, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, guys.